Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Praturi Law in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Brian Chandler, Praturi Law, Matt McDarby, Specialized Sales Systems, Paul Graham Cressa, and Shirley Mowry, Hertzbach & Company. We have a great lineup of guests for you on the show today, including Pat McGuire, President of Trinity Washington University, Betty Buck, President of Buck Distributing Company, Shannon Steen, Executive Director, Carpenter Shelter, and Greg Prasky, co-founder and CEO of ARG. Let's get to know our first guest, Pat McGuire, President of Trinity Washington University. Pat, what is Trinity Washington University? What are you guys doing? Trinity's a 2,000-student university. We're 120 years old. We serve mostly women and students in the District of Columbia. All right. How long have you been the president of Trinity Washington University? I'm starting my 30th year. 30 years. Where are you from originally? Originally from Philadelphia. Uh Uh-huh. And how many brothers and sisters? I have five brothers and one sister, and I'm right in the middle of the pack. You're in the middle. What what did growing up in the middle of six siblings do to you? What, what, what happened there? It really made me sensitive to everybody's needs. It helped me to understand how to work with a wide range of people. Hmm. Yeah, what are you talking about? Like, Give me an example of, of, of how you were sensitive to everybody's needs. Well, for example, uh, my father loved to take us all out and play catch and play ball, and, and I would help to organize the teams. And so we'd go out to the yard and start throwing the ball at each other, and I was the one frequently who had to pitch harder and catch better than anybody else. And you were organizing the teams? Absolutely, with my brothers, and, and my older sister didn't play that much, but the, with, the, with the boys. Uh-huh. What's organizing the teams have to do with being president of Trinity Washington University? Well, as a college president, I organize teams all the time. Mm-hmm. Organizing and managing people and helping them to become successful is what we do as universities and what I do as a president. Mm-hmm. Shirley, what, what are you thinking? How old were you when you first started making money? Well, my very first job was a camp counselor at age 13. And for how long did you do that? I did that for five years. Wow. Now, what would you say you learned that has to do, in that capacity, that has to do with being president at Trinity College? Well, being a camp counselor is, is the same as being a middle child. You organize teams, you organize games and activities. You also help uh, young kids learn how to take risks. We would go on hikes in woods, we'd walk in streams, we'd catch frogs. That was all about learning how to grow up, and that's what we do in university. Too. Brian? Pat, uh, you obviously went into education as a career choice. And was there anything from that, that camp counselor experience which sort of uh, helped direct you in that, um, in that way? Well, being a camp counselor working with young people, I love to learn to teach younger kids how to do stuff, whether it was making a lanyard or catching a frog or playing a, a softball game. So I learned to love teaching. I also learned to love being in charge of groups. That is fun, and that's part of what we have to do as educators. Uh, I like making the rules sometimes, and that was a good beginning for my career. Now, what about the, uh, the business aspect of being the president of a university? Well, actually, what I do as president is being a business leader. The academic side is what the provost and the faculty do. I have a bottom line to manage. I have a budget to manage. I have to raise money. I have to take care of plant and facilities. Most of my time is spent on the business aspects of the business. Matt? Uh, Pat, in the green room, you talked a little bit about the role you played in your family, and you served everybody's needs, but specifically you said you, you took care of your brothers. What that meant was you had to be stronger than them. And then you said... I had to be dominant and competent. What did you mean by that? Well, in order to organize groups, whether it's your brothers for a softball game in the yard or kids at camp or a faculty in a university, you have to, first of all, be confident about being in charge, and that's learning how to be dominant and not making apologies for that. But you also have to be excellent, and that's the competent part of it. Nobody can be a leader if they're not good at what they do. So I learned early on I had to pitch harder, I had to run faster, I had to be able to score as well as anybody in order to be accepted as the leader. Hmm. Interesting. What else are you thinking there, Matt? Yeah, I'm hearing the word dominant, and you talked about leading groups, and 
I'm wondering, how does, how does being dominant play out in leading teams and leading a university? Well, it, what it means is that you help people learn how to make decisions for themselves. It doesn't mean making all the decisions for everybody, but it means leading people along a pathway where the choices are revealed or articulated, and then people learn how to make different choices. A good leader doesn't tell everybody what to do, but make sure that the team keeps moving toward the right result, whether it's winning a game or deciding a curriculum or getting to graduation. It's all about keeping the team moving forward. Paul? Sounds like you've been part of a tribe forever. I sure have been. <laughs> you know, multiple uh, siblings being here at, uh, at Trinity. You Five years as a camp counselor, 30 years uh, plus at uh, Trinity. What keeps you going today? I love what I do. This is the other aspect of being a great leader. You have to love what you do. If you don't like the work or you don't like working with people, you're going to fail. Many leaders fail because they actually don't like being with people or they don't like being challenged in their role as leader. They lack the confidence and they lack that uh, instinct wait, wait, wait. to what, domination. What, what, so you, what is it you like about your job? I love working with people, and I love getting to results. Uh, when we are successful, I am in heaven. Wait, Success wait, 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 wait. is its own reward. So you're the president of this university. Do you do you ever? Uh, and you've got, I'm sure you've got a fancy office. I mean, after the, uh, do you do you ever like get into the field and talk to the students? All the time. Do, do, my you, do you have is, to do that? My office is right on the main corridor in the main building. Students come in all the time, and they'll tell me what? everything. What? They come in and bills. talk to the president of the university? Yes, they'll talk to me, and I talk to them, and I think that's what presidents should do. And if presidents don't do that, they're doing the wrong thing. Why, why do you think that that's so important? You can only motivate people if you're genuine with them. People will respond to genuine leadership, and that means being in touch with what the people need, listening to them, being open to their concerns, even if you don't think their concerns wait, wait, are wait, that wait. important. You're telling me that you think part of your job is to help, is to be authentic with these kids, to listen to them, to motivate them? Yes, absolutely. You must listen to the the people you lead. You're the president of the university. That's right. And presidents are not potentates. Presidents are servant leaders. The most effective presidents are out there every day with the students and faculty. Uh, Paul, good. Yeah, I read a few of your blogs. Uh, Great. And I think that you, given the fact that you have a religious-based university, you have a lot of challenges facing you today. So I think it's very unique for you as a university president today. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, in your childhood, a lot of challenges there with all the groups of people. How's that helped you today yeah well yeah. yeah trinity's a catholic institution i was i was uh, raised catholic i'm catholic and having a faith basis also helps inform our work because it really motivate the social justice teachings of the catholic church really motivate what we do every day at trinity and have motivated me throughout my life and that helps us through the hard times too so a lot of our students struggle we serve many low-income students but knowing that ultimately their success graduation day is the most beautiful day every year because students who have worked so hard to get there and we believe in that not just because of graduation not just because of getting good jobs but as a matter of social justice we are illuminating these souls and that's part of the belief system we have in a religious a religiously based institution and I grew up with that I've had that throughout my life the sense of purpose the sense of meaning in life I'm sure you're getting some hard questions today Mm -hmm. uh, we're getting hard questions all the time. Brian? There are hard questions throughout mm -hmm. our lives. Brian? The, uh, you obviously talked about the importance of confidence in a leader, and you exude confidence in, as, as you're speaking here today. Uh, could you talk uh, you, a little bit about your relationship with your father and how that plays into uh, confidence? Well, Dad was really the person who pushed me uh, in throughout my life. He was the one who loved it when I would organize the, the catch out in the yard with the guys. He was the one who actually taught me how to pitch and throw, and he expected the best. So when I would bring home good grades, he would really cheer for me. He's the one who encouraged me to go away from home to go to Trinity for college. Mom wanted me to stay home and continue to help with the boys. Uh, so he was a big influence in my life. Uh, Mom and Dad both were children of immigrants. They never went to college. He was a World War II vet. He served in the Philippines. So they didn't have what they wanted us to have. And their sense of striving and their sense of supporting us, all of us on the road to success, was very, very important. So you are your father. 
I don't think I am him, but I carry his spirit with me. And my mother's too in a different way. She was the caretaker and the, the one who raised the kids. But dad really pushed the success element in all of our lives. So he was really supportive. He gave you confidence that you could do it. He, he absolutely gave me confidence because he would always cheer. And when we didn't bring home good grades or when we didn't do so well, he was also on our case. So always wanting to be successful to get dad's praise was very important. Matt? Pat, you talked about authentic leadership uh, a minute or two ago. Where did you learn that? I learned that growing up through a series of schools. Uh, this instinct for being in charge was with me all along. And uh, both the uh, sisters, the nuns who ran the schools, and then later on in different uh, occupations I had when I was in law school, I was in a clinical program. Every person I worked with helped me to shape my sense of leadership and authenticity. And when I would get too big for my boots and, and sort of uh, not be a good leader, want to do the command and control thing, invariably there was Sister Bernadette or Sister somebody else saying, you cannot be lording it over everybody. You have to learn how to serve people. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the website address for Trinity Washington University? TrinityDC.edu. Let me have that one more time. TrinityDC.edu. We've been speaking with Pat McGuire, president of Trinity Washington University here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Shirley Mowry. And the name of the organization? Hearts Back and Company. And what's your role there? I run our business development strategy for the region. Uh, what kind of business is Hertz Back and Company? We are a regional CPA firm. So you're a regional accounting firm and you're in charge of business development. And tell me what that means. What's that entail? I work with all our industry leaders on how to bring in business and how to build their book. And So you work with the accountants and the partners in the firm to help them bring in business. Correct. Uh-huh. How young were you when this characteristic, when you learned about getting acceptance and marketing and selling yourself, how young were you when that happened? What was going on? Um, I, I, start, I moved about 12 times in 18 years, so I would say the earliest I remember having to adapt is probably elementary school when we first moved to America. So where'd you move to America from? I started out in Israel. So you moved from Israel to America. How young were you when you moved? Eight. And, uh, but you spoke English, and the two societies are almost identical, aren't they? I uh, had not learned English yet. Oh, boy. So you're telling me you moved from Israel to America, you didn't really speak English, and you had to learn how to get accepted. You think that that has something to do with your ability to help the accountants and Hertzbach and Company do business development? Tell me more about that. I think I can relate to everybody and figure out what's best for them, not just what I think is best, but how they best work and where they shine. And you learned that because you had to get accepted school after school a whole mess of times, you had to keep learning how to get yourself, how to adapt, how to be flexible, and how to be accepted. What's the website address of this organization, Hertzbach.com. How do you spell that? H-E-R-T-Z-B-A-C-H. Com. Let me have that one more time. H-E-R-T-Z-B-A-C-H dot com. We've been speaking with Shirley Mowry, Business Development Director of Hertz Back and Company. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Wh what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients. They're wonderful. 
So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Betty Buck, president of Buck Distributing Company. Betty, what is Buck Distributing Company? Buck Distributing is a 72-year-old alcohol beverage company in Southern Maryland and Eastern Shore. Uh How old is this company? 72 years. Who started the business? My dad did 72 years ago with one truck. Uh Uh-huh. How young were you when you started working in this business? About four years old. What were you doing? I was walking around with a rubber mallet, putting down the wood floor. Uh, so you were as you as the trucks would roll over and the pegs would pop up, you'd knock them, you'd, you'd hammer them down. With the one forklift, I would walk behind it and put the wood pellets back down. Okay, now wait a minute. So you're four years old, and your father forced you to do this, and your friends are outside playing? No, no, he didn't force me. It was my way of spending Saturdays and Sundays with him. You wanted to do this? Yes. Uh huh. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one older brother. Uh huh. What was special about your childhood? Um, I wanted to be with my dad. I was adopted, my brother and I, and it was ways to spend Saturday and Sundays with my dad. You were adopted. So um, how do you think being adopted had a a special effect on your life in this business? Um, It made me feel very blessed and lucky to have the opportunities I had. How's that show up in the business? Um, Without my parents choosing me to be adopted, I wouldn't have been in this business. I wouldn't have had the opportunities to do the things I've had. Huh. How interesting. Okay, Shirley, what are you uh, what are you thinking? Well, I understand there's uh, challenges with all the increase in craft breweries coming up, but I'm wondering how that's affecting your business. It's been a very interesting few years. We represent all of the Maryland craft breweries and many from all over the world, and we love craft brewery. That's what my oldest daughter does, but it's been challenging trying to remain friends with them and sell their beer and trying to keep all the legalities separate from what we do in the day to day. Brian? Yes, Betty, my understanding is that you have sort of surpassed or, or satisfied a number of firsts in your industry. Can you give us sort of a rundown of what some of those are? Yes, I was the first woman um, approved to run a beer distributorship in the United States. You have to be approved by your brewery. Um, if it goes through, my daughters and I will be the first daughter-daughter turn. And I was the first and so far only ever female chairman of the National Beer Wholesalers. Well, those things just don't happen. So let's look back uh, just a little bit about like, how you got started. Now, you said you got started very early, but you left for a little while, then came back. Yes, right? I went to the National um, Manufacturers well, tell, tell us about what happened with your dad and the computer stuff. Well, I was working in D.C., and um, my dad wanted me to come back and work for him, and I wanted to computerize the company. Yeah. So I told him I'd come back if he gave me a contract to control the computers and the money. And my dad never gave anybody that. And so for two weeks, he didn't talk to me at the dinner table. Well, why did you press for that? Because my dad was a total control person for everything. He ordered the toilet paper. So, but didn't that like sort of freak you out as opposed to you having a direct negotiation with him? No, because I knew if I was going to come back to Buck, I had to control the computers. So what ended up happening? After two weeks, he came home with a piece of paper and it was a... contract so for let exactly you do what it. I wanted. And what, in the, what was the benefit of you doing that computer stuff? What kind of business issues did that solve? It solved all of the sales side of it because we had numbers that we could count on. It gave the salesmen the tools that they needed to talk to their retailers. It gave our breweries the hard numbers that they needed for the future. Uh-huh. Paul? It sounds like at an early age you saw yourself you know, as an owner here in this business. Yeah, Tell like about four. That. Uh, I'd rather play warehouse than play Barbie doll. My Barbie doll was actually my warehouse, and I would go to work with my dad and move all the beer pallets around to where they truly didn't belong from his viewpoint, but from my viewpoint, it made it look better. Wait a minute. You were reorganizing the warehouse as a little girl? Yes. And that was more important to you than going out and playing? I mean, you, you really did see this business as your business as a kid. I wanted it from the very beginning. What do you mean you wanted it uh, from the very beginning? You're a a four-year-old girl. I know, but I wanted to be in charge of the warehouse. I loved it. Huh. What else are you thinking, Paul? It it sounds like you 
have done everything within this company. A lot of times, you know, your last name is Buck, you're handed a desk and here you go and you can alienate a lot of people. Have you, sounds like you've done everything. What, tell us a little bit about what you've done to work your way up. Like, what have you done? The warehouse, I've a female in, in the warehouse? Tell us about that. I've worked in Repack. Um, I've worked on the tractor trailers. I had my CDL license. I could drive the tractor trailers. I still can. I've been out on forklifts. I've been out as a salesman. I've been a supervisor. I've done every job there is. I've checked the trucks in. I was the one on the computers. I was the one, I was the treasurer of the company. If there's a job there, I've done it. Uh-huh, Matt, what do you got? Betty, you mentioned both you and your older brother were both adopted, and you felt like you were extremely blessed yes. by that, right? And that you wanted to give back. But I mean, let's face it, you're, you're the president of a really successful company. What do you mean you're giving back? Um, we do an awful lot of things in the company. First of all, our company is like a family, so I pay 100% of all of my employees' benefits. That's important to me no matter what it costs, that will always happen. But I'm involved in a lot of charities. My dad was involved and we continued with United Cerebral Palsy. The school for Prince George's Montgomery County is named for my dad. And the other one for me is the Anne Arundel Municipal Hospital where I am in charge of the mental health. We just broke ground for a mental health hospital. And last year we raised 1.3 million for that hospital with Denim and Diamonds. And again, this year, I'm going to be the chairman of that event, which is in April. It's a huge thing because we but have why, so many Why do people. you spend your time? You should be spending your time building the business and making money. What are you doing that stuff for? Because my dad always taught me, when you make your living from the community, you owe something back. And it's very, very important. Well, why don't you just like write a check? That doesn't have to take up your time, though. It's important to give your time. If you don't care about your community, you can't expect anything back. Do you, do you think your ability to build the business is actually helping the community? I think they work hand in hand. What are you talking about? You can't build a business without giving back to your community. You are part of the community. You owe your community. I live in the community. That's where I make my living. That's where my children go to school. That's where my grandchildren now go to school where my children went to school. Oh, I understand now. Who's got the next question here? Betty, you have going back to earlier age, right? You have this tendency to take responsibility for solving problems. Um, how does that play out now as you run the business? Um, I still solve the problems, whether it's working in politics, whether it's working in making sure the health care is taken care of, whether it's walking through the warehouse, making sure the employees are happy, whether it's working out in a community or going out to retail because one of the retailers is not happy and there's a problem that has to be solved. I still do that. So you, you, it says here uh, on this piece of paper that you're the president. So I, I, the good thing about being president is you get to go in like 10, 11 o'clock and then you know, leave at 3 or 4 o'clock, right? I don't know what business you're talking about. <laughs> oh, what time, do you get, like, what time do you get started in the morning with emails or thinking about the business? Uh, when I wake up. Uh, what time do you stop thinking about the business or stop with the emails? Uh, the phone never stops. The phone's on 24 hours a day. Last night, I got an email about 1 o'clock in the morning from a brewery in Europe. Oh, so you know that you've been, you must have been awake or something or woke you up. Brian, what were you thinking there? Well, uh, obviously, you know, Betty's talking about her, her daughter perhaps succeeding her at some point in time. But I don't get the sense that you're really the retiring type. Do you ever really see that happening? Well, both daughters were in my mm. office not long ago, mm. and I said something to them about retiring. They started laughing and walked out of my office. Uh, they, that says they know, it all. Yeah, they know, they know their mom. What's the website address for this organization it's that is Buck Distributing? BuckDistributing.com. Let me have that one more time. BuckDistributing.com. But we've been speaking with Betty Buck, who's the president of Buck Distributing here on Executive Leaders Radio with my co-host, Applebaum Potomac Companies, Brian Chandler, Pretoria Lowell, Matt McDarby, Specialized Sales Systems, Paul Graham Cressa, and Shirley Mowry, Hertzbach and Company. Don't forget to visit our website, ExecutiveLeadersRadio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders, and we'll be back in a moment right after this break. One help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, Email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, 
help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct. We're the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights are there, your registration process works. And, and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why, why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, we found that the best way to produce a high-quality event is to really know your customer. So we don't believe in numbers. It's names. We get to know each company. We find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally? We do it nationally. We continue to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, the company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. And mm-hmm. next time I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Ah, so you've been, building, you've been building this ever since. What do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm-hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting. Well, what's the website address for this organization? Medtechconference.org. Let me have that one more time. Medtechconference.org. Org. And the name of the organization again is? Well, Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, Some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is, in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So do you have to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Sure, it's balsambid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have, uh, let me have that website address one more balsambid.com. time. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. And your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Boston Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Shannon Steen, who's the Executive Director of Carpenter's Shelter. Shannon, what is Carpenter's Shelter? Carpenter Shelter provides services to people that are homeless in the city of Alexandria, specifically about 650 people that are homeless every year uh, with the help of about 1,200 volunteers. Wow. And where were you from originally? I grew up in a little town, 704 people in uh, southern Minnesota. And how many brothers and sisters? Uh, Two older brothers. Two older brothers. All right. Matt, what are you thinking? Uh, Shannon, what uh, what kind of sports did you play growing up? Uh, I was on the basketball team and the golf team. 
And and what role did you play? <laughs> uh, a poor one on the field. I was uh, more social elixir than real star athlete. What do you mean, social elixir? Was uh, more focused on making sure everyone got along and uh, that we had a good time while we were out there. So how does that play out in the work that you do now? Uh, in the work that I do, really working with the volunteers, with the board of directors, and leading a staff team, just making sure that everybody's eyes and noses are pointed in the direction we need to go and helping us move there. Paul? Jen, in the green room, you were telling me a story about Christmas in your hometown. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, so um, I didn't come from a family of great means, but there was another family uh, living out in the country, and they didn't have anything. Um, as a family, we adopted them every year for several years in a row. Um, Christmas Eve, we would uh, load up the car with some gifts for them, drive uh, headlights off, drop off the gifts, um, head out about half a mile, and then um, time-wise, someone back home would call um, and pretend to be Santa Claus, and we'd see the yard lights come on, and um, it was important for us to help, but we wanted to do it where we gave them some, some dignity and the uh, confidentiality to know that they were getting help, but they didn't know us. Wait, 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 wait. So you would do this in your small town, and they wouldn't know who did. It, they wouldn't know who gave them the gifts. Yeah, it was important that they had the ability to maintain their dignity. Why How'd that feel? Um, it felt good, and it, it felt a little bit sneaky, which was part of the fun. Uh huh. Wh- um, why'd you do it? Um, they really didn't have anything as a as a family. But they why did you do it? Um. We're as a family, we were fortunate. We didn't have much, but we had enough. Mm-hmm. And how did it make you feel? Um, good. It made me. It made me feel like I was getting some benefit from helping others. What kind of benefit? Um, they were getting gifts. What did you get? Yeah, the psychological of of doing good, of helping others. What's that have to do with helping uh, 650 homeless folks with 1,200 uh, volunteers? Yeah, I guess I'm sort of chronic in being addicted to helping other people. Mm-hmm. So well. it sounds like that's been a big part of your life starting way back in Minnesota. How does that, how did that draw you to helping the homeless? Um, yeah, out of, out of uh, undergrad, the first job I got was helping people. They happened to have physical um, and mental health issues, um, and I was supposed to help them. I haven't figured out yet how to get out of the human service industry. Brian? Well, speaking of uh, the service industry, uh, my understanding is you had a number of jobs growing up back in Minnesota. Yeah, so uh, it all began third grade mowing lawns. And, and, uh, and did you always mow lawns or any other jobs you ever worked in? Um, after sort of working up a clientele of about 20 different folks in town that I was mowing their lawns for, suddenly then um, transitioned and went and worked on a farm for wait, eight years. Wait, hold on for a second. You, how many lawns did you end up? You, so you started this lawn mowing business. How many lawns did you end up mowing? Uh, about 20 a week. How, how'd you get them? Um, you know, word of mouth. In a town of 704 people, when your father is the barber in town and your mother's the part-time church secretary, uh, they know what's going on and who needs things. Wait, wait, wait. So you were running a successful small business, yet as opposed to making a ton of money, and you showed this, you were y- and you stuck with it for a number of years, as opposed to making a ton of money, you're deciding to spend your career in social services helping homeless people. Correct. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and why are you doing that? Give me that again. Um Look, one of the main things I get, one of the main benefits of doing what I do is when you see people every day that don't have a home, at the end of the day, I have a home to go to. And that's a constant reminder of how fortunate I am and um, to help other people feel motivated to get back to that. But you, you, you also told us something about the goal or something. When people are coming in, it's not just you're providing them a roof. You're doing something else. What else was that? At? What, yeah, what was we're that? not just three hot, hot meals in a cot. Um, you know, we also provide them services to figure out not only how they got here, but how we make sure that, look, we, we love serving people that are um, in need, but our real hope is that they don't need us again. We can uh, set them on a path for so what's the goal? It's to help them become self-sufficient? Is yeah, that it well, it's to help them be permanently housed and stable. In so how do you spend your day? I mean, are you spending your day, uh, you know, drinking wine in your office and telling everybody <laughs> what to do? <laughs> uh, so I spend my every day is different from needing to raise two out of every three dollars from non-governmental sources. That involves a lot of fundraising, talking with donors, foundations, corporations, um, making sure that you're finding out who the residents are and and understanding what their situations are. Look, our community is remarkably generous. 
uh-huh. if they understand what the need is and they're invited to help participate in meeting that need. Right. People respond Brian to Brian also asked you a question about you worked on a farm or something like that. What was that? I worked on a hog farm for eight years. Um, it helped pay my way through college. Uh-huh. So you're willing to do whatever it takes. If need be, yeah. Uh-huh. And didn't you mention that your parents worked part-time at that hog farm, and so did your, both your brothers? By the Yep. By the end of it, um, every one of our family had ended up working on that family farm. So you've got this thing about, you know, this family loyalty thing. You've got this loyalty thing, sticking with things, doing what the family's doing. Is that the way you feel about your work nowadays? Um, the short answer is yes, and I do feel s- sort of paternal to my staff as much as I want them to be independent and make their own choices I also care very deeply about their well-being and I want them to be okay as uh-huh. well as those who were serving. Matt what are you thinking? Um, what does it feel like to you when you help someone else figure out how to help themselves? <laughs> it's why we do what we do when you see people and they grab an opportunity and they put all the pieces together there is nothing better the look on their face when they've got a set of keys and they put it in the lock and they're back in permanent housing that's just all the good things wrapped up together. Um, it's all the good things wrapped up together, huh? Hmm. So wh- wh- what's, th- what's, the, uh, what's the best part of your job? People, whether it's the 1,200 volunteers and getting to see um, them see their impact on, on improving other people's lives, talking with donors. Look, everybody wants to do good in this world. We just have our own way of, of making that happen and I'm fortunate I get to see I think the best side of the community um, I get to see the community's expression of its generosity Paul what else do you think what's Christmas like around Carpenter's Shelter <laughs> the holidays are a whole lot of hoopla um, and my favorite holiday party of the year is our roughest population we deal with some folks that are chronically homeless and um, for as rough and tumble as they look they have enormous hearts, and they're really focused on um, the true things in life, which is waking up, having another day on this earth, and being grateful for what you do have. Did you ever think that would be your calling in the sense that I have this vision of you and your parents and your family driving up to that house and dropping off these gifts and going and turning off the lights and watching lights? It's amazing to think that that in full circle has become your calling. Yeah, I think that that dignity piece is part of what has stuck with me, that if you give people an honest shot and um, you watch them put those pieces together, it's some of the best things around. Mm-hmm. Who's got the next question here? Matt? Shirley? What are you guys thinking? Dignity. You, you come from a small town. What, what is it about dignity that tends to grabs you? Yeah, um, When you're from a small town, and especially when your dad's the barber and your mom works at the local church, um, everybody knows everybody's business, and there's some responsibility to help take care of one another. And um, I believed when I was there that community was geographically defined, but what I've learned being here in the the D.C. area is that you can't be anonymous, really. It's just a bunch of small communities all piled up on top of one another. And so we have links, we have networks that we move within. We don't think about it, but um, when you can introduce to a network um, ways in which they can learn about needs in their community and help create good, they will do that. By nature, we're wired that way. I believe that. Matt, what were you thinking? Shannon, is this where that whole social elixir thing I comes into play? Yeah, I mean, I was really poor on the sports teams. I was little, um, and so they put me out on the basketball floor. If you needed fouls, put me out there, and somebody's going to knock me down, and they're going to put me on the free throw line. Um, but it was more about how do we have fun in doing this? How, how are we a team working together? So you, you really find meaning in your work, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you got to make a life. Um, you got to make a living as part of it. You can't be destitute, but... Um, yeah, it's it's not about um, the money and the material possessions. It's about what? It's about doing good and being good. Mm-hmm. What's the website address of this organization? Carpentersshelter.org. How do you spell all that stuff? Uh, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-E-R-S-S-H-E-L-T-E-R. 
org. Two yeah. S's in the middle. And is there a way for the community to get involved with you guys? Absolutely. There is a uh, get involved section on our website. There's also a donate button on our website. Mm-hmm. We have a website address one more time, please. Yeah, carpentersshelter.org. And we've been speaking with Shannon Steen, who's the executive director of Carpenters Shelter here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Chuck Ockeltree. And Chuck, what organization are you with? The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special? The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, it's not a traditional hotel. Mm-hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm-hmm. because of our size, mm-hmm. we're able to... Uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the the Corporate 100, Corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, Mm -hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. government agencies. Mm -hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about you personally? What what do you enjoy about your job? I enjoy that that we've uh, had a very, very very successful turnaround in Mm -hmm. uh, the two and a half years, Mm -hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center uh, from where it was in 2014 with Excellent. the new, new ownership, we've literally doubled the revenue. And what's, so. your, what's your role in the organization again? Uh, my role is Chief Marketing Officer. And what's that mean? It, good question. It means that uh, uh, we're involved with branding, mm-hmm. uh, everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and um, the business development. So you're actually going out there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And sir. I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable. We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, events What's as well. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me have that one more time www.conferencecenter.com. This has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Mark Isaacson. And Mark, what organization are you with? Uh, IQU Health. And what, is, what makes IQU Health special? What do you guys do special? We are the folks that are taking the traditional healthcare system of the 20th century and moving to the 21st century by doing personalization for people and scaling personalization for people. So you're telling me that aside from going to the doc to get traditional medicine, I can come to this site and you're gonna, your site's going to help me understand how what kinds of stuff will help me. Yes, we have a cloud-based system that allows an individual to come in and do an assessment which is, is, is the ability to scale personalization for the first time. And then we include labs and genomics as well. So ultimately, if we have 330 million people in the U.S., we have 330 million unique, one-of-a-kind uh, recommendations and guidance. So as opposed to taking an aspirin and having the same effect on everybody, the truth is it doesn't. It does not because everyone's got unique biochemistry and unique genes, and, and our core healthcare system is really built around one size fits all managing symptoms and that's and and the way it's going to work in the future is everyone is unique and everyone needs their unique one of a kind uh, so you're helping you're helping me understand what makes me unique and then how different kinds of stuff can affect me to help solve whatever is going wrong with me that is a hundred percent correct and you're 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 running this is a business affiliated with um, the pharmacy that's right across from the National Institute of Health which has been in business 50 years and you've assembled a whole mess of advisors around this what's that website address again so the website is iqyouhealth.com let me have that one more time iqyouhealth.com and we've been speaking with Mark Isaacson who is the what title do you have CEO of IQ Health thank you very much Want to help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. 
Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on this show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow Assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. To hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Greg Prasky, co-founder and CEO of ARG. Greg, what is ARG? What are you guys doing? Uh, ARG is an advisory group that we help companies um, navigate these new technologies, take mm-hmm. advantage of them to help their businesses thrive and grow. And how large or how small is this team? Um, we're 70 people with uh-huh. about 4,000 clients. 70 people, 4,000 clients. How old is the business? Uh, 27 years. And how'd you get a job with this company? Um, started it. You started it, okay. Where'd the venture capital come from to start this business with 4,000 clients uh-huh. that's uh, 70 people? Um, that's just pledging everything I had, the house, the IRA accounts. So you you really went at risk with this thing, and uh, and how many brothers and si- where are you from, and how many brothers and sisters? Uh, well, I'm from San Lorenzo, California, yeah. and um, I'm the sixth of nine kids. What, what was the effect of you growing up number six of nine? Um, well, it was a large family. You're always competing. Um, you have to be terribly organized. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, just a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Matt? Greg, in fact, I think you said you had to be organized to exist a little while ago. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? Yeah, well, if you can imagine 11 people in one household um, of modest means, um, I- if you're not organized, chaos will rain down. And what would happen? <laughs> um, yeah, I never knew because my mom was extremely organized and kept it well structured. So how does that play out for you today? Um, I kind of approach business the same way. It's um, without organization processes, chaos will rain down on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, Brian, what are you thinking? Yes, uh, Greg, you, you obviously put a lot at risk in starting your company. And... Uh, you talked a little bit when you were young because I was asking you questions about, hey, where does this risk quotient come from? You talked a little bit about how you felt like when you moved from the West Coast to the East Coast when you were younger, you had to put yourself out and sort of risk yourself at that point in time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, growing up, um, very comfortable um, in the early years, but we moved when I was 11 and um, the world changed. And so coming into a new community, um, had to reestablish myself and so had to go take some risks that I never did before. And what did you learn from that experience? Um, That risks aren't a bad thing. Um, uh, Change can uh, lead to better things happening. And do you think that uh, that lesson you were able to take that lesson and bring it forward with you to as you went into the business world? Um, Absolutely. So as things change which being in a technology business, things change regularly. So um, adapting to change is, is real. 
Shirley, what are you thinking? So at the time, 27 years ago, you decide to, to start from scratch having a wife and two young children, and it takes a lot of character and strength to, to take that risk. Um, tell me a little bit about the conversation that was happening with your wife and yourself <laughs> during that time. Uh, well, uh, I have a phenomenal wife who's extremely supportive, but certainly um, a little scary with young kids. Um, to me, it didn't feel like a risk. Um, growing up, I had a father who um, really drilled into me that um, if anybody else can do it, you can do it. So um, going, taking something on, that didn't feel like a risk. When you say he drilled it into you, what are you talking about? Um, that was just uh, the conversations. Um, any, um, as you look around. If Did some he say it to all nine of you or just you? Uh, he said it to all nine, but... I heard it real loud and clear. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Um, it just resonated with me. What resonated? That, um, that if somebody else could do it, then I started to believe I could do anything. What's that have to do with building this business? Um, well, being able to be that person to um, in, instill in our group that, yeah, we can... We can do anything. We can help. Does that mean that you got you have answers for everything? Uh, no, not uh, answers for everything, but we can approach anything uh, reasonably. I think we can help our, our clients um, access things that any other company can access. So when you get your, the, the confidence your dad gave you wasn't that you could do it all yourself or that you had all the answers. Right. It was what? It was to learn what was it that allowed them to do things. So um, in our household, uh, debate was a sport. And so he would challenge our thoughts. And, um, and so you learn why um, somebody could do something. Uh-huh. Paul, what are you thinking? You talked about your dad, uh, your, dad, your dad saying to you that you could do it. What do you think he really meant by you you can do anything um, if anyone you tell what do you think he meant by that when he says that yeah. to you guys i i think he was just encouraging us don't don't be fearful um go step out there um, you're not the first person um if somebody's done it you can do it too so why not give it a whirl matt have you ever delivered that same message to anyone else in your oh, career maybe a time or two <laughs> Um, much to the chagrin of some of our people who've been around quite a few years at our company. How do you think that makes your team feel? Um, I think reassured. Um, we see that constantly. Um, do you have a lot of turnover in your company? Um, no. Uh, Why not? Because, you know, in the technology industry, there's a lot of turnover. Why is that uh, not the case with you guys? Um, it's because your people feel confident because you give them confidence? I, I think they can realize their potential. And I think we all want What was to that again? They can realize their potential. What's the name of this company again? Uh, ARG. Uh, what's your website address? Uh, MyARG.com. Let me have that again. MyARG.com. And you help your team manage their, help them realize their potential. We've been speaking with Greg Prasky, co-founder and CEO of ARG here on Executive Leaders Radio, as well as we've had the opportunity of speaking with Pat McGuire, president of Trinity Washington University. Betty Buck, president of Buck Distributing Company, Shannon Steen, executive director of Carpenter's Shelter, and most recently, Greg Prasky, co-founder and CEO of ARG. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Brian Chandler, Pretori Law, Matt McDarby, specialized sales systems, Paul Graham Cressa, and Shirley Mowry, Hertzbach & Company, for giving me a hand structuring the questions. Hope you're providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. That's executiveleadersradio.com. And the website address for Pretori Law, where we're broadcasting from today, is P R O T O R A E L A W.com. Yeah, it's Pretori Law. Thank you for joining us today and do have a nice day. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.